Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. Now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the program. Again, my name is Michael Anthony Ingram, and my very special guest tonight is Christina A. Bijan. Christina, are you with me? I am here. Fantastic. I'm great, it's great to have you with me tonight. We're going to have a lot of fun, okay? Okay. <laughs> all right, all right. I'd like to start by asking the question, what is poetry to you? Yeah, poetry for me is freedom of expression. Um, you know, there are a lot of societies um, where poets are actually thrown in prison because of their ideas and silenced for being dissidents. Um, and I find, because I am a spoken word poet, that um, a lot of poetry in the spoken word community is social and political um, and has an advocacy activism component. Um, and so I guess I would say poetry is both free and it is also a form and call to action. Mm. Well, then, as you think about that, why is it important, this call to action? Why is that important? Um, it's important because I think that for people to be able to even have freedom of expression, that's actually um, a um, a luxury of the democratic world. <laughs> um, okay. And so to be able to practice that, um, and also you see throughout history people who, you know, I'm a history um, professor, so I always think in terms of, um, like, looking at things through an ed- education lens. Um, we look at poets. You think about the ancient Greek poets, um, thinking about more modern poets. Those are primary source documents that we can study in school. Um, Mm -hmm. So I guess poems can be both, you know, relics of this freedom of expression that I'm talking about, but they can also be um, this call to action. And I started writing poetry, um, and I guess I would say I became a spoken word artist in Washington, D.C., which, um, as far as I can tell, has the most active and exciting spoken word community probably in the world. Um, and you, every time you go to an open mic, you feel this sense of, oh, my goodness, what are we going to talk about tonight? You know, what causes are we going to fight for? Um, how is our art going to, be, is going to reflect what's going on in the world today? Um, and so these spoken word open mic nights are almost community meetings and platforms for people to freely express their ideas. All right. Well, as you think about your work, your body of work, what are some of the predominant themes that you discuss? So, um, you know, I did mention the social and political uh, dimension of, yeah, poetry, for me at least. And um, that's definitely the case for the poems that are published in my debut poetry collection, Green Horses on the Walls. And that's what Mm -hmm. I'm going to be reading from uh, this evening. And I would say the main themes um, are crimes of communism. 
So my family is from Romania, which was under the Soviet sphere of influence during the Cold War and had a brutal communist dictatorship. And my family were victims of those crimes, um, crimes against humanity. And uh, actually one of the questions, um, you know, that I was thinking about to prepare for tonight was what are the most important poems, the three important poems that I've written, and actually, I would say my writing about the crimes of communism, just because we need more education about that period of history. Um, yes. And so tonight, I will definitely be reading some of those. Um, also, the crimes of colonialism. Um, there was a period of time when I lived in the South Pacific in a country that was only recently uh, emancipated from British and French colonial rule, and that country is Vanuatu. So um I, so I've written about my time there. And in terms of um, my advocacy work, I write about mental health, mental illness, and I've worked a lot with NAMI, and that's how I know you, Dr. Ingram, because yes. we had a collaboration, yeah, with NAMI earlier this summer, the National um, Alliance for Mental Illness. And um, I was very active with um, the NAMI DC support group when I lived in DC, and now I'm active with NAMI here. Um, and... And then uh, another theme would be uh, sexual assault. Uh, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say just limited to violence against women, um, but sexual violence. Um, and the, definitely, you know, we are now in the era of the Me Too movement, so I kind of view my work um, as only possible because of the Me Too movement. Before, when I was writing about these things, there was still a lot of shame. Um, so, and then I guess maybe a couple more things would be diaspora and home. You know, I'm first generation American. I have a hyphenated identity. You know, where is my home? And you'll find that with a lot of immigrants going back and forth um, from the quote unquote homeland, you know, raised in the United States, going back to the quote unquote homeland, going back and back and forth. Um, and this issue of migration. Um, And I guess the final one is love in all of its dimensions, love of family, love of ancestors, romantic love, um, love of friends, friendship. And um, so that's obviously not an exhaustive list, but we'll start with that. Wow. Very nice. Well, what I'd like to do is to turn the program over to you to share one of your works. So... um, Please forgive me while I do start on a very political note, but um, yes. I feel I feel um, that it is everyone who has a platform's responsibility um, to use that platform. And I shared this poem that um, from Green Horses on the Walls earlier this summer um, on Twitter uh, in honor of Black Lives Matter. And tonight um, I am dedicating it to Black Lives Matter to, um, on this show. And it is called America World Police, Inside Empty. A U.S. military base on the banks of the Black Sea, a bus leaves full of men and women in fatigues. Going to the Eastern European capital for a day of museums, i.e. fun. Headphones blaring hip-hop. After this Sunday, from Mihail Kugunichanu, MK, being shipped to death, Romania is the gateway to Iraq and Afghanistan. It's death upon death. This same day back home in middle America, news of the soldier's high school best friend shot on the streets of Youngstown. End. 
How does a poem begin for you? With an idea, a form, or an image? The language. So I'll have a line come to me in my head and I immediately have to write it down. So, and so, and what that means is I'm not somebody, and I know this would probably be criticized in MFA poetry programs, but I, I, right. I don't edit my poems. Um, you know, I, what I write, it stays on the page. Tell me more about that, that it stays on the page. So um, because I'm not a formally trained poet, I'm not thinking mm-hmm. in terms of traditional form and structure. And um, so that's what I mean in terms of um, the language that, you know, comes to my mind, then that's, that's immediately what I write down. I'm not going back and editing over and over again, um, trying to perfect anything. <laughs> and that's probably okay. not uh, what you're supposed to do. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. I think it's potentially the better way to be true and honest to who you are and what you feel and what you need to share. I think that's important. As you think about who you are as a poet, all great writer performers have influences. Who are three of your greatest influences and what makes them great in your eyes? Well, so... um it really does mean a lot to me um, to be invited on a show based in Washington, D.C., because that's where all of this began. Um, And I should also mention that these poems were presented at spoken word open open mics across Washington, D.C., under my stage name, Lady Godiva. Um, And that's why I have to say my main inspiration, honestly, is Orville Walker, who um, is the host of Pure Poetry, and I think Pure Poetry is around seven years now, and they meet every Wednesday, I believe, um, the first Wednesday every month, and Orville came to Busboys one night on his own, and I shared a poem, um, and I wasn't kind of, it wasn't on my radar that I was going to get so involved in the spoken word world of Washington, and he just approached me after and he said, you know, we have so good in mind pure poetry. Um, you should totally come. And so it was pure that became my sort of laboratory. Um, and I would get ready and that's where I would, every, my poems always got their first audience at pure. Um, it used to be at pure lounge. Um, and Orville's poetry, he's just, it's a, his poetry is about social, but also family issues. Um, it's, just so relevant and so dynamic and he's also such a selfless poet because he doesn't make it seem like he has to be this kind of VIP rock star and everybody should worship him instead for him he creates this space where everybody is celebrated and I I haven't Mm -hmm. seen that kind of um, poet since then and I just admire him so much and I'm so grateful for him this book wouldn't be possible without him Um, And then the other two inspirations um, are two Romanian women poets that I include in Green Horses on the Walls. I include two poems in Romanian at the end that I translate into English. Um, And they're they're both dissidents, um, meaning they were fighting the communist dictatorship in Romania. Um, So this all links back to the freedom of expression that I mentioned at the beginning. And they were both fighting for justice um, through their poetry. 
and their names are Anna Blondiana and Nina Kassian. All right. Please share another piece of your work. So for the next step, I thought to um, introduce this mystical land of Vanuatu, um, which is an archipelago nation in the South Pacific between Fiji and the Solomon Islands, very close to Australia. Um, and one poem is incredibly short, so I'm going to read that and then immediately go into the next poem um, in terms of the Vanuatu representation in this collection. On Efate. While doing yoga on our lagoon-side patio, I noticed a canoe in the water holding four men who watched me through binoculars. I waved. At that moment, my cell phone rang, and the first lady invited me to her island. Next poem, Beyond Language. Escorted to an island that requires an invitation, another world just on the other side of a resort, so secret that those in the know know it's there. Those who don't know live in ignorant bliss. An island that transcends language because her language itself is secret. There I met the poetess. A distinguished old lady welcomed me into her home. We sat on her veranda, and she giggled when I told her of my admiration. A voice of the revolution, she couldn't have been more humble. Why had I been so nervous? But a secret island is not only giggling grandmothers or revolutionary writers, but also a world unseen to so many. A tremendous honor had been bestowed on me. And with that came a fear that arose only after I ate durian fruit with her niece that afternoon. When the Europeans arrived in the tropical Amazon, their method of writing was soon observed by the tribal chiefs to be a tool of power. So those illiterate pretended to be literate. A new form of subordination began. The secret island, these powerful people dominate society already. And now, completely unintentionally, thanks to literature and art, I had been welcomed into a home forbidden to their countrymen. End. That was, both pieces were very powerful, extremely powerful. What did you learn about yourself living on this archipelago? Who are you as a consequence, as a result? Um, it completely changed everything. <laughs> okay. Um, first of all, um, uh, first of all, I was one of maybe three Americans living in the capital city of, of this country. So um, that was a shock of an experience. But I think much mm-hmm. more um, is the, the history and also present-day reality of racism in the country. And um, it was so in-your-face and uncomfortable. And um, it felt like, honestly, um, you know, 19th century uh, – I mean, I'm from North Carolina, so I can only imagine, but um, – you know, basically pre-Civil War era South 
of the United States. That's what I imagine it would be like, and that's the way Vanuatu felt. Um, I lived there 10 years ago. So um, it made me think about uh, humanity in a totally new way, um, and it made me think about um, what matters in life because I had come off the kind of the D.C. rat race of, you know, getting the degrees and working your way up the ladder, and I found myself in Vanuatu, and, of course, none of that mattered. Um, And I think that that, um, I would say those two things really, really just changed the direction of my life. All right. Well, let's take a brief break, and we'll be right back. And actually, Christina, we have a caller. Someone would like to ask you a question. Wow. All right, all right, let's see. Caller, area code 917. The first number is 8. You're on the air. Where's Christina? Your question is Hello? Caller? Well, maybe they're just here to listen tonight, Christina. Great. All right, all right. Well, please share another piece of your work. Thank you. Well, so I mentioned um, probably the poems that I'm most proud of are mine about the crimes of communism. So Mm -hmm. I decided um, that I definitely want to share those tonight. And the first is called Nue Rolu Meo, which means it is not my role. And um, when there is a line in Romanian, I translate it immediately into English. We sat across from each other in this Camden pub, both blonde, both 5'5". One is a professional model. Guess which? The other, a roving intellectual. Last time I saw Morella was in a photograph, black and white, she was brunette then and very tiny, wearing an EA, the traditional Romanian blouse, standing next to Moshka Chun, Galatza's Santa Claus. You know, Chris, you were my Neverland. I told her that I knew because she was the same for me. I lived for the next box of toys and clothes, for our grandmother to return from a trip and tell me of you guys. Through photographs, you, Anna, and Gabi were my family. I'm not close to my parents, you know. But when Bunica Nuestra, our grandmother, 
died. It all stopped. No more contact from you. And no one ever told me why. I asked my father over and over again and nothing. Our fathers are different, I told her. My father's serious. Yours, the family rebel. In that moment, I had the chance to tell her. But she was so happy. And I decided that no a royal male. It's not my role to tell her that I had been told her parents tried to starve our grandmother to death for her apartment. It was 1994. Property had just been returned to Romanians by the state. They locked her in hers. A 90-year-old woman with Alzheimer's and deformed hands from a lifetime of filling medicine bottles as a pharmacist My father only found out because a Galat's friend got wind of the terror and called him in North Carolina. I was 12. My sister was 10. My brother was four. And my American grandfather had been dead for two years. I know now that we forgive family, but that doesn't mean that we have to discuss everything. Morella and I are friends now. She knew a royal male. You know, they say that to see the world with complete honesty, one should look to comedians, artists, and poets. What do you think emerges naturally from your work? What emerges from you? Well, it's only something that... um has come to light because I've published this poetry book, and that is that I'm writing poems, like basically contained in one poem, but including different languages. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that has always emerged naturally from me. And um, again, when I was, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, the, the questions and how did I get started writing poetry, Um, It's directly connected to that. I actually started writing poetry because I was learning German in school, and I loved foreign languages so much. Yeah, I loved foreign languages so much that it was just fun for me to write poems in German. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, to see, if you look at my old notebooks from, you know, when I was like 12, they will have poems in German. Um, And that's... yeah, isn't that crazy? And and now I find I'm writing in English and yeah. Also German's of course not the most poetic language, so it's kind of funny. But um you know, now that I'm writing in English and Romanian and French and it just all of the languages kind of flow naturally uh and are meant to be together interwoven in this way. Mhm. You know, as you think about writing all poets have several words that come up over and over again, words or sentences that they just can't help but use in their work. What are three of your absolute favorite words to use? Um, so, oh, favorite words. Um, oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that's why we I, ask I the hard questions on this show. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I 
I would say, oh, my goodness. Well, I would say I don't have favorite words um, okay. in terms of that I keep returning to. However, I will say my favorite words in this poetry collection are Green Horses on the Walls, which is the title, of course, but it's also um, the name of the central poem. And um, the reason it, that this phrase is so important is because in Romanian it means to have impossible dreams. And it's an expression that a lot of kids hear growing up with their parents um, telling them that they shouldn't they shouldn't dare to dream, um, they should just get serious, and that was my case. Um, and so for the Romanian audience to see green horses on the walls, like, oh, my goodness, you know, I know that expression. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I will, I will definitely share that poem tonight. All right, all right, all right. Would you like to share it now? Yes, it's a perfect segue. All right. Um, yeah, okay, green horses on the walls. Green horses on the walls. That's how it was in the beginning of my mind. My dreams were not possible. I was crazy. Hit in the head. Christina, be serious. You only want green horses on the walls. Green horses on the walls. The Romanian expression for having delusions. From the start, I was told my dreams weren't possible. That I was crazy. That I needed to be serious. That theater was a hobby. I was always merely chasing the green horses. And it was time to grow up because they didn't exist. But I know my need to write exists. I know that the open page is the reservoir for my joy and pain. I know the sweat-stained floors of an empty theater welcome me. I know that my dimensions cannot be confined to a DCCV, a list of degrees and honors. Now perhaps those don't truly exist. Can they capture a beating heart, prayers, kindness, caring for our elders and children, or the next play that is on the tip of my pen and igniting my mind with excitement. The straight-jacketed list to DC impress is what confines and lies. My truth is displayed on the open canvas of my art. My truth runs with the green horses through the fields, down Rockville Pike, and eventually all the way through the heart of D.C., 14th Street. I hear them calling, Christina, hi, Akasa, calling me home. As I walk today through a canopy of trees, I cross paths with a butterfly, and I came home to write this poem, and neither were or are delusions. Green horses on the walls. It took 34 years. Then for me for me to know, a dunk in inimamia, deep in my heart. Presunt exact, kuma kreat shia vrut dumnezeu. 
that I am exactly how God created and wanted. Și pentru asta sunt pur și simplu mulțumită. And for that, I am simply grateful. And you know, I can sense the pride that you feel for who you are and your work and your beliefs. If you had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, which I'm sure is available on Amazon, am I correct? Yes, and um, thank you. I, I wanted to not forget to mention um, my yes. book is available on Amazon in both paperback, paperback and hardcover. It's also available on other online sellers, including Walmart. But you can order it directly from me if you want a signed copy and also at a discount um, by sending me a DM to my Facebook account, which is Christina A. Bejan. All right. Well, if you had to convince a friend or colleague to read your book, what might you tell them? I would say, um, first of all, that these are spoken word poems. And so if you're interested in performative poetry, um, this might be a good introduction. Um, I know, at least for the Romanian community, I'm very involved with the Romanian community, this this is, for many, their introduction to spoken word poetry. Um, And I would say, you know, in terms of being part of the Romanian diaspora in this search for identity, reconciling painful history, I'm I've mentioned the crimes of communism a couple times um, and this kind of two-body experience of feeling that you're both in Romania but you're in the United States and reconciling that. Um, so, I mean, I've, I have found so far that the Romanian community has been incredibly supportive and really a lot of my poems have resonated with the Romanian-American experience. Um, and finally, I would say the advocacy piece um, in terms of mental illness and sexual assault. Uh, if you are looking for um, poems that address these issues head on, um, they are still very stigmatized. And um, it took a lot of courage for me to to um, put them in print and publish them. And now I feel so empowered that I did. But there was a period where I really was scared um, to have these out there. I can understand. I can understand. You have another caller. Should I bring this person in? Yes. All right. All right. Area code 303. The first number is six. You're on the air with Christina. Good evening. Hello? Well, I think this person wants to listen as well, Christina. All right. Great. The more listeners, the you better. You have a lot of listeners. Yes, a lot of listeners. Please share another piece of your work. I have mentioned communism so many times. Um, I'm going to share one more. And um, I want to clarify, um, we're talking about communism in the 20th century. So mm-hmm. a lot of this word is thrown around, especially with the election coming up, and I think a lot of people are not really sure what it means. So um, my poems that are about that period of Romanian history, I think, are a really um, tragic window into what it, what it looks like there. Um, so I'm going to share one of the poems, and then I just want to say I have a prose poem called Opening the Orange Envelope, 
that is explicitly about what my family survived under communism. We're talking about imprisonment, labor camp, secret police. Um, but I'm not going to read that on the air just because it's, yeah, just because it's a prose poem, so it takes a long time to read it. But um, that's in okay. the as well. So this one uh, is called Under Your Mattress. Put it under your mattress. The money, the truth, the pain. That's my Romanian father's American mantra. Christina, put the $200 under your mattress. Christina, don't tell anyone of the rape, the breakdown, the sexual harassment. Just stuff it under your mattress. No one looks there. I was told early on not to look in our family's secret police file, which was absurd because I was in that Bucharest archive every day anyway. When I told my friends that I was obeying my father's instructions, eyebrows raised. Romanian girlfriends are loyal to family, but they also don't take the bullshit that American women do. Christina, that means you have to look. I know, I always said. Under communism, there were no banks. There was no wealth. Every man and woman were equal. Equally destroyed, equally in fear, equally invisible. But there were ways around the system, as there always are under oppression. Black market ruled, and all the good guys had a prison term as proof of their protest. Don't talk or they'll hear you. So Romania was silent. People listening through the walls. Making love to your wife and everyone knows. It's in your secret police file. I've read those truths. And the risk that they will raid is always there. Looking for dissidents, looking for an excuse to torture. Because, frankly, everyone is just bored under totalitarianism. Not allowed to go anywhere, not allowed to choose your job, not allowed to choose your apartment. So you drink, you smoke, and you fuck. Reduced to animals. Ambition is a no-no. Intelligence, the ultimate threat. So the agents burst in. They've heard you've been keeping a chicken farm illegally on the outskirts of Galat. You know, saving money, defying the system. Bejan's protest, of course. We have nothing to hide. But yes, you have the secret police spark as they go straight for the bedroom and flip your mattress. And does writing energize or exhaust you? Absolutely really energizes tell. me. <laughs> it energizes, energizes you. yeah. <laughs> you write about such heavy topics. So I was wondering about that. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm a very passionate person, Dr. Ingram. Okay. <laughs> My poor partner. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you do is the easiest part of the artistic process? Um, making the time. Well, that's no, that's probably the hardest part. Sorry, in this busy world, mm-hmm. <laughs> the easiest okay. part. Um, I think the easiest part 
is also takes a little bit of effort, and that is just exposing yourself to art, being a sponge of all things creative, meaning listening to new music, you know, in the era before COVID, going to a play now, going to social di- socially distanced plays, um, yes. obviously consuming art. Um, I think that's really important. All right. You know, writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience. Others write to stay, because to stay silent is not an option. Why do you write? Um, because I can't not write. It's who I am. Um, it's my, okay. you know, I was, I was joking with my dad the other day. Um, you know, I, I'm, like I said, I'm in education and I absolutely love teaching, but in mm-hmm. a way teaching is my quote unquote day job because otherwise I'm just, you know, writing poetry plays. Um, I write articles for Armenian newspaper in the States. Um, it's like, I cannot not write. I, I'm always writing something. Wow. Do you think that you were meant to be a poet? Um, I think that I I was meant to be because it happened, but it certainly wasn't part of the plan. I understand. <laughs> Share another piece of your work. Share another piece of your work. I want to hear more of your work. Share some more. Um, if you're curious about the Romanian experience, I recommend you um, – by my book. So All right. Um I am moving on to a DC poem that links us to Vanuatu and then takes us back. Called All Hashtag right. Simplicity. An American girlfriend I met in Bucharest recently told me that the cure to all my woes would be to keep it simple. Try telling that to the D.C. girl living the millennial dream of a federal contract in her own nonprofit. Family duties and issues. Can't go to N.C., can't bring myself. Need to make love to a man, but D.C. guys just don't get down like that. I tried again with the perfect candidate with my background, languages, and baggage. He came to me in a dream to tell him to try again. And in real life, he texted me that it's not me, it's him after apologizing for taking a week to reply because it was the end of the fiscal year at the World Bank. I said, thanks, Alex. I learned the simplicity lesson a long time ago. June 10, 2009, I lost a colleague to a brutal racist attack on our federal building. Hearing his wife's cries at the funeral told me what to do. I gave up a job in Romania and any prospects in the U.S. To move to an island in the middle of the Pacific and keep it simple, just love my man, do what he needed, simply be there, do the groceries, make love, talk to him about his job and anxieties, I was ready. But nothing could prepare me for island life. Everyone knew he had an affair with a tourist before I arrived. He likes blondes, I said of my brown partner trying to laugh it off. He pretended we were married everywhere, to the gardener and his pregnant wife, to the ambassadors of Australia, Kiribati, PNG, New Zealand, and their wives. I was owned like women on that island are, but without any of the security. We fought worse in the third world than our second and first world previous versions of self knew possible. Exile from bedrooms, visits to work to make up and cry, 
And one day he raised a hand to me, and I knew it was over. I left under the guise of having a breakdown, which I had had before. I paid both his and my tickets to take me home, and he never paid me back. On the phone he would yell after I told him my father had been diagnosed with cancer. Port Vila is my city, Christina. Vanuatu is my country. As I'd asked where and when we were supposed to see each other again. It's been simple, eating grapefruit from the front yard, but that's not what my Bucharest friend meant. Simple as someone to talk to. Simple as someone who won't try to use you. Simple as someone who can listen. Simple as someone who will hold you. Simple as someone who won't judge. Simple as someone who isn't entitled. Simple as someone who can love. I told the same friend yesterday that I just need someone to hug. She told me, Sophia, her daughter, has a pillow. Grab a pillow. Sophia's 11, I shot back. But maybe Bucharest's friend has a point. She and I can talk endlessly about extramarital affairs, transcontinental Skype sex, yet as we humans each close our eyes and hope to open them in the morning, it's just me, just as I was at prepubescent 11, before hormones drove me to lose everything and tempt me to compromise my empire of one right now. Luckily, I currently own four pillows. Hashtag simplicity. End. (laughs) What do you think? (laughs) Very nice. What do you think is the relationship between your speaking voice and your written voice? If there is a relationship between the two. Because I can see you on stage... Um, I can see you sharing your work, the way that you project, the way that you li- your lived experience is just totally in front of us as, we, as I think about it. So what is the relationship? They are directly related, and I would even venture to say that they are the same. <clears throat> um, and in terms of my being on stage, I, I think it does need to be said that I'm a trained actress and I went to oh, okay. college. I went to college to be a theater major. My poor okay, dad. Okay. Um, and so, yeah, so I was supposed to be a Shakespearean actress. Obviously that didn't happen. Other life exciting things happened, but yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> where do you, where do you go to write? Where do you go to write? Well, at the moment, um, I moved to Denver exactly one year ago, and my partner and I have been living in this teeny tiny one-bedroom apartment in downtown Denver. Downtown Denver looks like Manhattan, Um, Mm. and so we don't we don't have much space. And I my writing desk is in this teeny tiny little corner. When you actually enter the front door of the apartment, is the corner that my desk is in, and I've decorated it with collaging, all sorts of fun things. Um, And so I really create my office desk space um, by decorating it with things that um, inspire me. And so right Mm -hmm. now it's this corner, but we're we're moving into a house in in one month, so I will have a new space to decorate and call my own. All right, all right, all right. You know, so much is happening in the world. 
so much is happening every day. There's something new in terms of whether it's the Black Lives Matter movement, whether the, you name it, so much is happening. And sometimes it's really hard to, for me personally, to keep it together, to keep it together. And one of the reasons that I write is primarily it provides an opportunity to get it out of my system. What do you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Um, well, I have the, um, I, let's just say, my, my optimistic, idealistic answer to this question is that we are all citizen okay. activists. Um, all right. And that we really, if we are fortunate enough to have a platform such as you inviting me to share my poems tonight, um, that we can really advocate for positive change. So now that I've put my toe in the water of the like published poetry universe, <laughs> I've mm-hmm. been seeing that um, just with any um, any community, I guess it can be very siloed. Just just poets reading poets talking to poets, and doesn't you wouldn't say that there's much exposure beyond this this silo and I mean that happens in every domain I mean not just published poets in the United States but my call would be for um, people who do have obviously the talent to put pen to paper um, to um, try to get a bigger audience you know beyond published poets you know who can you connect with what are the causes that are important to you that you can advocate for um, and that's a challenge for American society. We could have a long conversation about that, but they're really in this yes. country, there's such a push to specialize. And mm-hmm. I'm just trying with my very, very hardest, um, to not specialize. All right. I understand. I understand. Please share another piece of your work. Okay. So, um, I mentioned love and I'm going to share one. Um, well, if you allow me, I will share these two because they go together. Oh, yes, Is please. That okay, please share them both. Ingram? Yes, share them both. Yes. Okay. Um, because um, I'm so grateful to be on this show because you're giving me the opportunity to read poems that I haven't read yet from the book. So. All right. All right. I'm glad um, you're here. Yeah. You make me happy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, thank you. And you will see that there's a DC connection here. Okay. Okay. Lasa- yeah. <laughs> um, Lasanta, you are darker than any man I have ever known, but the light inside you more blinding than the sun. When we met, the world cracked, and everything I thought was right just slipped. Some people think you are guilty of war crimes. Others know you are a general serving your country. You are a husband, a father, and the caretaker of so many in your traditional family. Between embassies, parties, the Kennedy Center, and me forcing you to watch ice hockey, you became my best friend. But it was only when I told you of my darkest wound that love overtook me like a demon. Oh, the agonies you have known. That's what you said. And with that, being the first human being who did not recoil from my personal horror. You listened and told me to be cruel. It's all in the past. I don't need to be haunted by it all anymore. So I shed my clothes like I did 10 years of defenses. Follow-up poem is entitled, You Are Not My Boyfriend. 
you are not my boyfriend, I told the Sri Lankan defense attaché last week. He countered with the bizarre psychoanalysis of the difference between South Asian and Western women. Apparently, South Asian women are controlling yet dependent, whereas Western women are not controlling and independent. Says the man who has two live-in Sri Lankan women to cook for him and iron his three-piece suits, and one of them spoke up to him recently. He told me that's what he hates the most, women who act like men. I bit my tongue. With my American upbringing, my European background, and my D.C. career, funny how Lasantha has never thought that I act like a man over the past eight months. This past Saturday, I spent the day with my former professor, an eminent philosopher from Senegal. We shared a long lunch in French and ran on Africa time. As I got to know his wife, his daughter, and his most important disciple who was visiting New York from Paris with her husband and two-year-old son. After a dessert of fruit and Senegalese tea, Malik showed me some photo albums of his family when they were still in Dakar. These photos were all in their home. Gorgeous photos of his wife, baby photos, photos from family dinner, photos of friends coming over, Photos of dance parties, photos of Malik in his glasses at his desk with one of his sons on his knee. I cried on the bus back to D.C. And Do you think that someone could really be a poet if he or she doesn't share emotions very regularly or strongly? Can you be a poet without emotions, sharing emotions? I I definitely do. I think that um, you know, I yeah, I don't think creativity is necessarily linked to emotion. Okay, um, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Um, you know, because I think I think intellect, you know, I mentioned that intellect was forbidden in communist Romania. Um, you know, mm. intelligence, what's what's going on in your mind. Um, and you know, of course it's this we need to have a healthy balance of our ideas in our head and what's going on in our heart and our passions. Um, but, mm-hmm. you know, you can read, um, and of course I'm thinking of like the, from the history teacher angle as well. Um, you know, you yes. can be a real scholar and write creatively. Um, and, um, and also you'll find that people surprise you, especially at open mics Um you know, when somebody who seems really shy gets up on stage and then they just blow you away with this brilliant poem. Yes. Um, yes. So, yeah, I think, I think you know, I think anybody can be a poet. Let's democratize being a poet. It's not specialized. Democratize. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Well, share another piece of your work. I enjoy hearing you read. Please share another piece. Um, thank you. Just keeping track of time. I want to make sure I end on yes. one in particular. Okay. So this is um, very much tackling the issues of mental illness and sexual violence. Um, and it also has a little bit of French. And please forgive me, I have high school French. <laughs> um, so no problem. So um, <laughs> yeah, so um, it's called Moral Force of Character. You say I have no right to believe in morality. 
There is no universal good and evil. This is my answer. The reason I know is that I've already been to hell more than once. The first time was being pushed down a road while I was too drunk to walk the other way. And I kept saying, but I want to go to St. Anthony's. After showing me photos of skeletons on your computer from your doctoral research, you fucked me on a bed that had not yet crossed my mind. I woke up smelling death. Then I had to live a label that I knew also represented the worst of humanity. But listen, I am the only one with a passport for my father's country that is a member of this elite label. Could I ever talk to him or Romania about the fact that this label is a lie? So I hid it from everyone for 10 years in and out of spaces that that label never goes. One example the dungeon that is Duke University Hospital Psychiatric Emergency Room. I thought I had already seen hell in Oxford. No. I was there again for the second time in a room with lounge chairs facing each other in two rooms for solitary confinement in the corners. A heroin addict from the mountains coming off it and going hysterical. A Korean war vet with more dignity than any fucking label and he's homeless, a young student who had been accused of being crazy by his university and the Durham police when he saw and called out hate, a woman with no teeth who could eat yellow but not speak, a man who belonged to a gang for brown people with that acronym tattooed to his forehead, another woman who resembled more of a wild animal than a human being in speech and behavior. And finally, my friend, who I cannot name because I fear for her safety, who was brought in with force as she screamed in Arabic. The nurses and doctors were at a loss. They couldn't communicate with her. I asked the nurse, where's she from? Answer, Morocco. I approached the shaking lady in French. Bonsoir, madame. Good evening, madame. Qu'est-ce que vous... What has happened to you? I don't have any connection to this hospital. What has happened? Only to discover that her husband was beating her up and told the police that she was the homicidal one. After talking in the group for days and an evening of eating pizza, watching Duke basketball, a new man came to this town. He said nothing. He just watched. And the last thing I remember from hell round two is this person looking me in the eye and telling me that I had it all figured out. And What do you want your poetry to do, and where do you want it to go? Um, well, um, as a writer, I think everybody wants um, people to read their writing, um, and I want to get my poems out there. And um, so I would say, you know, I want an audience, 
that's natural. Right. Um, but I'm also yes. looking to raise awareness, um, yeah, raise awareness for, um, you know, crimes against humanity um, under communist regimes and mental illness and sexual assault. So uh, there is an advocacy component to this book. Mm. Wow. It's an incredible book, incredible work. Incredible, incredible Thank work. Uh, I am so pleased that you're with me tonight. This this is really, really, it really touches me. Your work really touches me more than you'll ever know. More than you'll ever oh, know. Thank you, Dr. Ingram. We've thank got you. about Do four I have minutes time left. For the... Yes. Okay, yes. so I'm going to. You can perfect. read as many perfect as you timing. like. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the perfect one to close it out um, because it's about being a member of the Romanian diaspora. All right. And you can, you can tell that it's, it's a spoken word piece. Oh, here we go. A tricky diaspora. I'm from a tricky diaspora, an assimilate quick diaspora, a red lipstick, high heels, and skinny perfume cigarettes diaspora. The only thing we are known for is not exactly in our history, Dracula diaspora. <laughs> Maybe that's why we say we're from anywhere than we actually are. Just we got that E. And I can't actually hear the parental accent, diaspora. Uh, my siblings cannot pronounce our family name correctly, diaspora. A too suspicious and yet too trusting, diaspora. A uh, shh, don't talk or they'll hear you, diaspora. A country that you've never heard of, diaspora. And I silently understand eight languages, diaspora. A no pressure to get married, ever, diaspora. A sex is healthy and beautiful, diaspora. And any race is more beautiful than Caucasian, diaspora. Unless you're a Roma gypsy, diaspora. A politically totally confused, diaspora. A Reagan realpolitik, diaspora. A, so you're telling me healthcare isn't free, diaspora? All education is always on full scholarship, diaspora. Um, what, you don't have at least two graduate degrees? Doctor, doctor. A knowing the world map, diaspora. A spiritual, but not religious, diaspora. And never knowing your grandparents, diaspora. A family history so painful that you just never talk about it. A rejoicing through tears when your country's dictator is assassinated, diaspora. A real appreciation for a pair of blue jeans, diaspora. A not-so-ancient history of wearing denim on denim, diaspora. A deep understanding of the origins of rock and roll, diaspora. What a beautiful country Romania is. Is it? Dar, in sua avem un viator. But in the USA, we have a future. You don't have to be from our diaspora to have heard that one before. And <laughs> When people hear your work, I'm sure they want more. What's next for you as a poet? 
Um, well, as a poet, I so I'm new to Denver, and I've been to um, a handful of open mics here. I want to really work the scene here. Of course, this is different um, under COVID. Things are virtual, so I'm I'm trying to get out there in my new city. Um, mm-hmm. But then, really, what's next for me um, are my plays. I have four plays um, forthcoming in a volume that I need to um, get together because I've written. I was first a playwright, so that's why right. I became a poet is, is kind of a surprise. And I have another play mm-hmm. that's forthcoming in a volume um, next year as well. So I really need to get working on those plays. All right. Well, whatever you do, you'll be great at it. Uh, you're an incredible individual, and I am so glad that you were my guest tonight. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. Ingram, and I'm sending so much love from Denver, Colorado, to Washington, D.C. I miss Washington, D.C. so much. Yes, I can understand. It's a great place to live. Well, thank you, Christina. Have a great evening. And to our listening audience, thank you so much, and join us next week. All right. Good night, everybody. Okay, thank you. Bye. You have just listened to the quintessential listening poetry online radio podcast with your host, Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And make sure to catch our next episode.